0: This episode of the critical oxygen podcast once you start to realize hey I'm probably not going to be the elite of the elite but I can do the best that I can on any given day and by giving it my all I can maximize my fulfillment and my purpose you know within whatever realm that I'm trying to maximize hi everyone welcome back to the critical oxygen podcast where we help you optimize your physiology and maximize your athletic potential I'm your host Phil Batterson, and today we're joined by continuing guest host Dr. Robbie Jacobs, where we're going to further our discussion of predictors of performance. Dr. Robbie Jacobs, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it, it. It may not seem like a long time for you as listeners between conversations, but uh, Dr. Jacobs and I took about a, like took a week off from our last recording and it really seems like a long time it you know does. for me so and we immediately got on and started talking i was like whoa 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 we need to pause and we need uh-huh. to you know talk about our updates on the podcast so that people can kind of hear you know what what we're pursuing and and you know like what sort of cool things are going on in terms of the our, our lives and physiology and everything like that so that's why i i paused him and then started from there so here we are <laughs>
1: I forget what we were talking about now.
0: Yeah, so, <laughs> so we were talking. So so we were talking about um, how essentially being an independent uh, PhD person now oh, okay. uh, myself uh, has you know has its challenges, but also is is really cool because being a PhD and being entrepreneurial minded, um, if you have things like social media following and, you know, know people, you can essentially start to get connected with other people who then you can work with and you can you can offer the, your skills as somebody with a PhD to then, you know, potentially get things like equipment or, uh, you know, do collaborations and other things like that. So that's, that's kind of what we were talking about. And um, for those of you who don't know, my fiance and I are, are in the process of finishing buying a house and then within that house i'm going to have access to a detached garage where i'm going to be able to set up hopefully i we we're talking about treadmills hopefully i'll be able to uh you know talk to some people at woodway and get a really nice woodway treadmill have all of my you know like like physiology equipment testing equipment all that sort of stuff all set up and then i can start to actually test people at my house uh that's that's kind of my goal right now along with awesome. you know the podcast and other things like that so
1: you're never gonna leave your house.
0: I that's the plan. Um <laughs> that's like we we live far enough away from town that I, it it makes it like just like kinda hard not to like wanna go and get groceries and other things like that. Um but yeah, in all actuality, like I want my I want my house, I want my area to be a place where I want to be. And being an entrepreneur allows me to live in a place that most people couldn't live right if you're commuting to a job and you have to commute an hour hour and a half each way that's not really indicative of in my in in my opinion like fulfillment and happiness because you're always like oh well i'm wasting like three hours a day driving to and from my job it's like well i'm gonna have the opportunity to be able to wake up in the morning and literally just like you know walk to my recording area you know, do all my, you know, say social media stuff, do all, uh, you know, podcast recordings all from, you know, that little library. And then, you know, do all my meetings, you know, for Moxie Monitor, do all my physiology consultations, all of that. And then I'll also have on the property, like a workout room in my house with a bike, you know? So uh, another thing that, that Robbie and I have maybe gotten a little competitive about is uh, our our bike training. So...
1: Well, I can't get too competitive because my ceiling is a lot lower than yours. So I, I could do a lot of talking, but probably couldn't back a lot of it up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But the, the fun thing is, is that, um, especially with cycling, right? You can, you're always really competing against yourself. And then every once in a while it's, it's, it's fun to, to be like, Hey, I just did this workout. You should give it a try right? and then see, see how somebody else does it. Right. Um,
1: Like that time after we were done collecting data and you're like, put the bike up to 400 watts and I'm just going to see how long I could go for. You remember (laughs) that? And it turned into like this interval where you were going at like 400 watts. That was insane. Dude, that was, I was in
0: really good shape then. Like at the end of my master's, I was.
1: How do you compare yourself now to that?
0: Uh, it's it's hard to say because i mean i'm certainly lower because i just don't do as much volume like when i was at the mm-hmm. end of my masters i was going every saturday to pike's peak and i was doing the incline between one and three times plus all the times like, down
1: like one time you would go there and you do it one to three times in one day
0: yeah yeah really yeah and most most of my times were all like sub 40 which if, if you know times on the incline was actually pretty good. I think my you know, fastest time ever is like 24. What's what's the record? Way faster than that. Somebody ran it or something like that. Like they were able to just book it. but yeah, it I don't know what the actual record is. It's definitely sub 20.
1: You know they have since uh, updated the incline and the the rail. The train that goes up to Pikes Peak, and I think okay. the buildings, the like what they have up at top Pikes Peak, they wow. went to uh, Swiss train authorities, the, the SBB, the SBB, uh, <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure it's a Swiss. At least they used Swiss uh, consultants. Okay, and I th- I, but I think the train may be Swiss as well that goes Interesting. up there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The I just remember by the time I was leaving, the incline was just getting so busy that it was one of those things where it was like, you either had to get there super early in the morning to do it or just don't go at all. Um, yeah. Have they implemented any sort of like,
1: like how many passes people it or anything? Yeah. Uh, they, they were talking about it. I'm not sure, you know, surprisingly I've yet to do the incline since I've moved to Colorado Springs. You should, you should. That's do That's one that thing was... I, I can't believe I haven't done.
0: It's fun. It's, it's one of those things where it's like you know if, if if you go too hard you're you're gonna have a bad day, right? Um, and it's really easy because it, it starts off actually super gradual, but then it's like it it's essentially like a VO two max test. Like you know like you know how I would I, when you explain a VO two max test to somebody, you're like yeah, yeah, it's just this increasingly harder and harder hill. It's like yeah. that's pretty much what the incline actually is, and it's like like the the real life version of it. That's cool. Yeah. It's fun though. So I was in super good shape during my, during the end of my masters. And at that time too, you know, being in the lab all the time and like, you know, like kind of having access to all that equipment, I was like, yeah, let's just like test VO two max. Let's test, you know, my, my three minute power output. Like let's do all of this all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in really, really good shape when we were doing our, the ramp tests i think the highest i ever got was like 450 maybe 475
1: that's awesome
0: i, f- I feel ah, no that's
1: big that's that's a good that's a good max power
0: it was it was pretty high i don't i want to say i want to say 475 seems seems too high i definitely got into the 400s though so like 425 maybe 450 um now when i do so now I do a longer ramp test. So it's, it's, it's a lot lower. It's three minutes. Yeah. It's three minutes steps and they start at 60 Watts and then go up 20 Watts every minute. So it's, it's more of kind of like an endurance sort of step test. And for sure it's my max power output. Isn't nearly as high. Like I think I hit 300 towards the end of that test. Um, how long does it take? Oh man, that was like, had to be like closer to like the 45 minute mark or something
1: that that's a really good point when we focus on vo2 max is like we should really discuss how the graded exercise protocol that you use so importantly can influence at least the power right the the reciprocal Mm -hmm. power that uh is being monitored along with the changes in vo2 vo2 is probably going to be the same yeah. Um, But those longer duration ramp protocols is going to give a closer idea of like performance VO2, more what your VO2 would be if you were training. Whereas those faster ramps, like the 10 minute, I, I say faster, even though that's more standard, there's so much uh discoupling from the VO two you're measuring simultaneously with a quick ramp versus if you went out and actually sat at one of those power outputs that was Mm -hmm. within the protocol and what the associated VO two would be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's value in, you know, the, the faster ramp for, yeah, yeah, for both. And, but for me, you know, now I'm like, I'm like, okay, well the shorter ramp is getting me, Cause it, with that shorter ramp, my, uh, you know, quote unquote FTP, you know, maximal lactic steady state, whatever you want to call it is like two sixty. So, but I can only go to like 300. So I can only do like two steps above but that. That's, 260. that's how it should be.
1: I mean, that's how yeah. it, it really is. Right. So once somebody is really at their maximal, uh, metabolic steady state, You're not gonna be able to go Mm -hmm. much further than that. So that's probably much more accurate, but you like to flex with a with a lot higher max power output, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It always feels better to be like, oh yeah, I hit, you know, four four twenty five than to be like, well, I only hit three hundred. And then you and then you talk to people on the phone who are like, Yeah, you know, I just did a, a 20 minute like test and I was seeing threes for the whole
1: time. I'm like, dude that's insane yeah i would work with people that would if they were uh didn't have a lot of time to exercise they just go and do 400 watts for 20 minutes i don't i can even do that i wonder if i could do it for a minute
0: that's and like we were saying i think in the last episode like holding a constant 400 is a lot different than if you're on like a fan bike where you can kind of modulate that a little bit like even right. jumping like 390 to 410 right like you know that's much more uh, sustainable than just 400 yeah. all out and it gets as soon you know when you're when you're doing something in erg mode as soon as your that power decreases your cadence to a certain extent it just feels like you're going through mud yeah. and then it's just, you know, it's just all downhill from there. And it's, you stop very quickly.
1: Yep. 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 Especially when you're in erg mode with a dirty chain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to uh, have that excess, um you know, resistance, right? Brutal. that's that I don't know if we shared that on the podcast but uh, what Robbie was telling me is that he never knew that you had to actually clean your chain on your bike yeah. so it's so what you do you cleaned it and then you gained what like 20, 25 30
1: watts back <laughs> but because I didn't clean it for two years you know I rode bikes with my friends when I was younger but I never rode like competitively or as a sport and so if if I ever had to take my bike in I just took it into the shop and they fixed kind of everything collectively. Right. I never realized, and I don't ride outside, and so I'm riding indoors. So I didn't realize how dirty a chain can get just riding indoors. Oh, boy, was I ignorant. Woo. But that <laughs> that entire two years, I was like, man, I just keep getting worse and worse and worse. I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah, you're like, I feel like I'm pushing harder. Am I overtraining? Yeah. What am I doing? Th- that's like- exactly what I thought. But then I actually looked at my training volume, and it was going down. I was like, oh, great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so because, it was like because that intensity, you know that like that uh, relative intensity was going up, yes. and you were increasing the resistance on the bike. So yes. you know, it was like you, you have to reduce your volume if your intensity is going
1: up. Oh, like, it was terrible. It was an in some game. I was losing my mind. Yeah, and then I cleaned it, and I was like, "I love cycling. This feels great. <laughs> it feels like I'm riding on a cloud."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it is funny because you know it's like we we as researchers, people would be like, "Oh, you should know all this sort of stuff," and it's like. No, we, we research in very controlled environments and we're, you know, we're doing all these things and we know the protocols and we know the best practices for research, but when it comes to, you know, say maybe the more applied side of things like coaching ourselves or, uh, you know, implementing those, those training ideas, sometimes it's like, even like simple things, right? Like, like most cyclists would be like, oh yeah, just clean your chain, dude. Like totally. And you don't realize it until you actually do it. And then you're like, oh Exactly. I, I wonder what else I'm that. doing. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sure I wonder, that there's a handful of things. Have you Have you ever done like a professional bike fit? No. You Do I, you I, just kind of eye it and just oh yeah, this seems pretty good. You know, my yeah. leg is at a certain angle. Like I should like really
1: that? I should really be fit. But who, who like who would you trust to do to do that?
0: Yeah, I mean, so when I got my first triathlon bike down in georgia there was you know just like a a company that does like bike fits and i brought my bike in actually no i didn't even have to bring my bike in because they have an adjustable bike that like you know does all those sort of thing
1: we have one of those at the university
0: well then go do that i don't
1: know how how to use it right
0: yeah you have to you have to get somebody who actually knows knows what the heck they're doing um and yeah, so if you have like a biomechanics person or somebody who is like Or a Nico San Milan fitting.
1: or Yeah yeah, or uh Steve Johnson, like two people intimately familiar with the world of professional cycling, I should ask them. Yeah. Yeah, but you should. You should It's kinda hey, ridiculous a bike fit on me. They look at me and they're like, What? <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like i just get on my bike and i just push the pedals like come yeah, on next. exactly
1: <laughs> i just stomp on them yeah yep, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah it is it's like it's like uh you know we try to use physiological principles in order totally. to you know, totally. get the most out of everything yep. but it's still it's you know it, it with anything right you know you start out and you don't really know much right and you know the more you do it the more you kind of figure yep. out and and that's where You know like my like this is this is where kind of like the the rubber meets the road in a sense right where you're trying to figure out as an athlete how those training principles actually apply to your training and then which ones work and which ones don't work for you because that's also something right it's like for me when i was doing a lot of crossfit everyone's like oh yeah just go every day and you'll get better and i was like no no no. and then you'll break yeah i can do like one hard hard workout a week yeah, And if I do any more than that, I'm, yep. I'm you know, setting myself up for injury, other things like that. It's kind of, kind of the same thing here, like with, yep. with biking, it's a little less pounding. So you can get away with a little bit more. Right. right. Um, but for me, it's essentially like I can do, I, I t- will typically do a, a hard workout on Tuesday and a hard workout on Friday. And that's enough time for me to actually recover. And then in between I'm doing, you know, an hour to an hour and 30 minutes of, of, you know, more of that zone two or recovery you know, sort of ride. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, it is interesting. Cause you know, there's so much literature out there that's like, this is the best way to do it. This is the best way to do it. But then if you actually try to apply some of those studies, it, it doesn't work that way. Like exa- for right. example, if you're trying to improve your VO two max, we know that the best way to improve your VO two max over pretty much anything else is to just do high intensity interval training every other day for four to six weeks. Yeah but in all practicality that doesn't work right because you would you eventually you get tired like right.
1: you don't so look forward to it when it's when no. it's that when you're doing that every single day i don't care how much you love the sport it 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 drains you it, mm-hmm. like even getting ready to do uh your intervals I oh great like you just know there's going to be 16 minutes here where it's going to hurt like it's mm-hmm. going to be uncomfortable i, I oftentimes gag cuz i'll <laughs> i'll ride so hard it's just it, it's my stupid it's just my stupid competitive nature i guess mm-hmm. i'll push myself to the point where i have to slow down and let a couple dry heaves pass before yeah. i can get back to it i just, you know, you have to prep yourself for that because it, it hurts, man. Like you can, especially on the bike, you can take yourself to points where like my peripheral vision goes. That's, it's weird. It's, I, I noticed that I start shutting my my left eye actually and squinting. It's so
0: weird. <laughs> that was that was when, when I was doing when I was on the rowing team at Michigan, we would do two thousand meter uh erg rowing tests and that was those were the single most painful like deepest into the well i have ever gone in my life to the point really, like you're saying like like tunnel vision like the the aperture is closing as i'm going you know it's like 200 meters 100 meters, 50 meters 25 you know and and that i really barely ever experienced in my running career because i think there's right. so many things you're 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 you kind, just of you, you kind of having to be aware of you kind of have to
1: stop right yeah I'll, um, I'll puke i can still puke i can still gag easily while running but it's not like i don't get the weird thing in my eyes and my peripheral vision doesn't start to go yeah
0: i think i think on a stationary bike it's kind of similar to that rower where you can just like you can just push yourself to the limit and you know, because there's no consequences. Like if you pass out, you're not going to crash. But if you're on the road and you were going that hard, right, like, right. you know, you're, and, ooh. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I, I wonder, too, if that's like if that's part of the reason why there's, you know, obviously at the end of like a Tour de France stage, like they're going super fast. But right. I wonder, too, if it's like they're going so hard
1: yeah that
0: they're kind of at those limits of control of their yeah, body and then sure. you know like just even little changes right you see people you know get bumped up against the like the, the walls and you know they're they're go over or you know like what the person who is always impressive to me was peter Sagan. he would always be like kind of like you know like elbowing people and fighting people and stuff but he they're going 40 miles an hour and he's like just able to stand up on his bike and like you know nobody can knock him over it's so impressive
1: and scary. Did you watch that mm-hmm. Netflix documentary about the 2022 Tour de France?
0: Mm, I don't think so. What's it called? Oh,
1: I don't remember. It's good though. But I'll, they, I'll check it out. Who was that cyclist that um there was a tour where at the end they were sprinting and he kind of got checked was it into like the wall? Cavendish. Is it Bob? I think it was Bob something. He he broke several bones in his face like yeah it was bad yeah
0: some uh, i just like you know there's part of me is like oh it'd be really cool to start riding outside riding on the road doing those sort of things and then i just remind myself of like i know people who's who have had like parents get hit by a car and pass away i've known people who have gotten in bike accidents like the one of the guys i was just talking to yesterday he was like yeah they had to like cancel a race because Somebody, some construction worker decided he was going to drive his, uh, truck out into the middle of like this course. And then he was turning around and somebody hit him and died. And it's like, it's like all this crazy stuff. I'm just like, it's not worth it. Like, like I would rather just, let me just get fit on my bike. And like, I have a little back walkway back here where I just like can jump on my trainer and I use, I use a, a software called full gas um, and it's really cool because they record like, uh, trails all around. Like, so if oh, you wanted really? to ride, like, so you yeah, if you watch. wanted to ride like the Ironman bike course, you could literally go and ride that and you could ride all the elevation and it would change for you and all of that. Um, so it's really cool. And, uh, you know, I actually, it, it's one of those things where, you know, it's like, okay, well I can, I can be immersed in, in that sort of stuff and I don't have to actually go outside and it saves you time, right? Because then you're not stopping at every stoplight. You're not like, you know, doing all that other stuff. So I don't know. I've always been more about performance than, you know, kind of like the, the enjoyment. Enjoyment. Me
1: too. I I get so much shit because I've ridden about 25,000 kilometers over the last about three years Mm -hmm. all inside. All inside. Wow. There's not a a single, uh, a single kilometer that I have ridden outside and I get so much shit, but just like you said, I don't have to worry about cars. I can just worry about performance and it's time efficient. Mm -hmm. You know, I, nobody blows up my workout other than me. I'm the only one that gets to blow up my workout. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I like that. I, I prefer that. And running, you could just go run outside if you want. Right. That's great. Right. I actually started a tradition after recording. I tend to go for my weekly run. I'll Mm. I'll do all my workouts. I'll I'll ride throughout the week, except for I'll I'll run um, 8K or about five miles once a week. Nice. Yeah. And and that's nice, especially while the weather's good, because I do like being outside, right? Being outside, getting the sun, that part I, I do really enjoy. It's just having to worry about people hitting you with their car. Mm-hmm. It's a problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's And I, I imagine, you know, you're living in Colorado Springs, which is a little bit busier. Like right. I'm just, I'm out here in the sticks. Like, right. you know, it's good good so, and bad
1: because yeah. less cars, but maybe they're not paying attention as much as somebody would be in the city because there's so much going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: There's also, there's also something to say about people who drive like country roads and stuff, like don't respect cyclists as much as others. Like the, the, really the only times I've ever been kind of accosted by somebody is when I'm riding on a country road and apparently I'm going too slow for them and they can't get over, even though there's nobody else for miles around. And they just yell at me when they go by and they get really close and they're just like, get the hell off the road. And I'm just like, dude, like, are you trying to kill somebody? Because that's a really easy way to do it. And I don't, I don't have to preach to to the people on this podcast. I'm sure everybody understands is like, you know, a big, a big truck hitting a small bike. That's a huge transfer of force and energy. And you know, it's like, I, I just don't, I just don't get why people get so upset about it. Um, I do understand though, like, when when people like cyclists and all that you know like don't follow the 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 rules of the road and think they're better than stuff it can get a little frustrating but it should never be so frustrating that should like result in you being so mad that it would like you'd be willing to like hit somebody that's ridiculous
1: i was in Um, austin and i was driving around it was a weekday so everybody was going to work it was around morning rush hour traffic and i was going up this this road where the it didn't really have much side to it. it it pretty much just dropped off soon after the after the the lane ended and there was somebody riding their bike on it and it was uphill there were cars everywhere i, I i'm impressed with cyclists that have that much panache to just go out and ride at that time on that type of road. Yeah, I couldn't do out.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can't either. And um, I used to, I used to train with, with a guy who's my neighbor and he, he has since kind of done what you've done is he does all of his training inside. He does it all on Zwift and you know, has trained for like multiple Ironmans doing that really? and, and all. Yeah all this stuff and he the only time i think he actually like does stuff outside is when he's running or like a couple tune-up rides outside but he knows too many people who have been hit by cars or you know have had you know negative effects from that that he's just like no it's not worth it anymore
1: and how did did he say that uh the transfer his his bike performance during the triathlon was it did it transfer well to swift that's a that's a really good transfer well to him
0: yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to ask him. I think, I mean, he's pretty sold on it. Like he hasn't changed his training. So, I mean, I, I don't think, yeah. Like I think if, you know, you just have to be aware like how it does translate. So don't just do all of your training right. indoors and then go outdoors. But right. yeah, if it's, if it's one of those things where it's like you feel more comfortable, it's less barrier to entry. I think that's the big one, right? Is the, totally. the barrier to entry is so much lower just always having your bike set up all you got to do is just pick whatever ride it is like if you have a coach they'll forward the workouts to you or you can make your own workouts and then you know and then you just do your training and then you get on with your day you you know it's not it's not like this huge you know thing where it's like okay well i'm going to go this route and you got to let your your partner know that you know say hey if you don't hear from me in you know two and a half hours this is where i went you know sort of deal that's what that's what like my mom actually wouldn't let my dad ride outside anymore unless he told right, her he, where she where he was going
1: or took like a an avalanche beacon
0: yeah essentially right yeah you, i guess that's or like our, the, you know just like the try to find my iphone yeah
1: here. exactly that's wild i actually do remember hearing um I I can't remember the source, but the source, I remember the source was legitimate because in my my brain, I'm like, okay, I'm going to remember this. Um, I'm pretty sure for most people that outdoor performance is better than indoor performance. But I think with most people that has to do with motivation. I think lots Mm -hmm. of people struggle to be motivated inside, whereas I'm I'm crazy. I don't know if that would translate perfectly for me because I can find all the motivation I want inside. Mm I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, and you know, that's a, that's another predictor of performance, right? Is, is motivation. And that's something that it's totally. like, we're not going to touch on that because right. we're just going to assume that somebody is a hundred percent motivated to do whatever yeah. it is they're doing at the time. Right. Yeah.
1: Like, if you want to you optimize can't... your performance, there's a part of you that has to embrace the discomfort. You have mm-hmm. to learn and be able to, and almost, almost look forward to a certain extent of your ability to just sit in that hurt locker. And embrace mm-hmm. that discomfort, because if you want to optimize your performance, that is definitely part of it.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's if you want to maximize your performance on any given day, right? That's really what you're trying to do. Yep, is you you have to be mentally mentally strong because yeah. at like there's definitely you know physiological factors that could influence your psychology but I also think like I've known people in the past who, you know, they're, they're just cruising along, cruising along. And then all of a sudden they're just like, yeah, I got too hard and I stopped. I'm just like, like in my mind's eye, I'm just like, that's never an option. Like, like if I started a race, unless yeah, like even when I, I broke my foot and I finished a two mile race in high school,
1: like what part of your foot broke?
0: Uh it's just, it was one of my metatarsals. And so it was, is it
1: just a stress fracture that was completely realized in the race? Probably.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. I think oh. it, it like it wasn't quite a stress fracture at the beginning of the race, but right. But at the end of the race, right. it was a full break. Right. Um, Brutal. And then people thought I was just being, you know, dramatic about it and stuff. So I ended up, uh, you know, training and, and doing other things like that.
1: Really? Um. Yeah. Oftentimes it's those injuries that will kill somebody because they'll get a little embolism. Hmm. Uh, a little part of the, you know, the the scab that develops once the bone actually breaks will will break off. Uh, active people, active people dying from like a pulmonary embolism or uh, a cerebral is actually pretty high. It, it scared me because our hmm. department chair, uh, Doctor Andy Sabuti, broke his foot trail running one day, and uh, he came in and he said that he had developed uh, a clot down there from it that they had to go in and, and manage. And i would never even considered that before, but after that, lots of people in the department are saying, I know somebody, I know somebody, I know somebody that. Mm-hmm. So now every time I get a little injury like that, I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> <Assess, laughs> yes. Yeah. Assess, assess.
0: Yeah. It's, you it's get always that one of the time. Yeah. It's, uh, it, well, so I was actually, I was there when Dr. Sabuti came into the lab and used right. the ultrasound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, when that happened. Yeah. To yeah. see
1: if he, because he, he was worried that he had a clot. And so he popped in and we had the, uh, yeah, yeah. We had yeah. the ultrasound set up. And so he, he used it to identify. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: Because right. I asked him, I was like, uh, like, why are you in here? It's like 730 in the morning or something like that. He's like, oh, I'm just checking to see if I have a blood clot. I was like, what? A yeah. blood clot? Like, like I don't remember not yeah it was it was pretty wild and yeah he just comes he just comes in turns you know turns on the probe puts a little ultrasound gel and was just like looking around i was like oh hey well what you doing there like i remember just, that
1: yeah. hey speaking of wild what do you think about the new world record in the female marathon
0: i what what is the actual time because i haven't i didn't see it really
1: it, it's no it, i it,
0: i watched i watched i watched Eliud Kipchoge run you know whatever he ran and crushed it. And then there was a video on YouTube that popped up that was like, oh, the craziest world record ever, you know, ever set. And you know, I was like, right, I'll get to it later. So what was the time that she actually ran?
1: Over so she beat it by over two minutes. Oh, I wasn't looking. <laughs> and I I tried to look it up. My fingers weren't on the right keys. Yeah. I <laughs> I did that
0: the other day. I was like
1: But, but you know what came up is uh, Elliot Kipchoge running, even though. Yeah. That's wild. Even though a single word, not a single word that I spelled was accurate, but that's still <laughs> what popped up. <laughs>
0: that's crazy. Google can hear us. They know exactly what we're trying to, trying to get at
1: four days ago. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. The Berlin marathon is always fast and Elliot Kipchoge won it for like the fifth time. He's like the first person ever to win five times. Really? Yeah. And it's like, it's been over the course, like from like, like 2015 till now. So it's been over eight years or something like that. It's not one of those things where it's like, Oh, he just like has had five years in a row of like really, really good running. It's like eight to 10 years worth of being dominant in the sport.
1: Unbelievable. So I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm not going to try. I'm going to sound ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) But she ran it in 2 hours, 11 minutes, and 53 seconds to break the previous record that was set at 2 hours, 14 minutes, and 4 seconds. So broke it by over 2 minutes.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. That's that's wild.
1: Yep. Yep. And it
0: was... Where was she from? Probably like Kenya or something like that.
1: Uh, Ethiopian.
0: Ethiopia. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, they like, it's never really surprising to me when, when talent like that comes out of, you know, one of those countries, because they have like running is their NFL, you know, MLB, whatever you want, want to compare it to. So everybody is running constantly. And it's like, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and going six miles to and from school each way. So 12 miles a day, It's a pretty good way of building, building up some, uh, you know, good endurance adaptations. Right. Right. And, and then it's bred into the culture. Like everybody wants to be a good runner. So then people are like, oh, well, let's go do a running race. Right. Or like, you know, they're like training for it already, or they have like all these training camps. And when you see all of these individuals running together, it's like a training camp of like 50 to a hundred people. Like, I I don't know if this is, if this was in E10, which is like kind of like the, the Kenya Mecca for marathon runner development. But there was a, there was a video I was looking at that was like, yeah, everybody in the village or, you know, everybody in the town, whoever wants to come out can come and run this tempo run. And, you know, like sometimes they get hundred or 200 people to show up, but you know, towards the end of it, you have like your top, like 15 people. And, you know, then everybody else is kind of like super strung out, but it starts super, super slow. And this is something that I well,
1: think what's super, super slow, super, no, super like slow actually, for them.
0: No, it's like actually slow. It's like, oh. it's like, like eight to 10 minutes, like 10 minute miles, something like that. So it's like, you know, they're just, they're just trotting along, doing their thing. And then it ramps up and it ramps up and it ramps up and it ramps up. And all of a sudden they're running, you know, four 30 for a tempo. I guess it would probably be like four forty. Um, but you know, that's what, that's what they run in like, that's, that's just how kind of like they're like culturally, you know, they, they get together and do like those runs. Whereas like we get together and we tailgate and drink beer and and all of that. And everyone's like, Oh, well, you know, if, if only it's like guys, like it's not just genetics, like they're, they're living and breathing it, you know, a hundred, like a hundred percent of the time. And we're
1: not. Yeah. That is super impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize it was like two minutes off of the world record. That's, that's really impressive.
1: How did, uh, Kipchoge do? What was his time? Do you know off the top of your head? I
0: I don't know what his time was. I think it was like two Oh three something. Um, I think. And I mean, he didn't have anybody around him though. So he wasn't really being pushed. And I think it was like, even after the first marathon, like first half marathon, he was already had dropped everybody. So, he's just in a league of his own. He's he's crazy good.
1: I wish that I was good enough to qualify for just one marathon. So that for, like, the first, I don't know, maybe 1K. Now, probably not even. I just try to run with him.
0: There's... Even for four hundred meters yeah
1: i probably i bet you i couldn't i even for two hundred meters i i want yeah, you'd maybe. have to
0: you'd have to run essentially a
1: 110-400. okay, oh,
0: so that would hurt
1: i couldn't i couldn't yeah. do that so no, a thirty a thirty five
0: second two hundred that's fast I, I,
1: I couldn't do that wow, yeah, that's, that's so fast. amazing that's so amazing because I'm not a couch potato, i mean. That is so brutal to think. And what hurts me even more is when I consider people like Elon Musk. Because, sure, I'm not gifted genetically to be physically uh, impressive. But my prowess maybe comes more from my intellect. But then you see people like Elon Musk and then you're like, I'm just a normal, I feel like a normal <laughs> schmo. Just yeah. middle of the road. Yeah. Of every, everywhere and everything. Damn it.
0: <laughs> no, I I, I think, I, you know, one of the one of the quotes that comes to mind is that comparison is the thief of joy. That's because true. that's good. It, It,
1: it, really it is, is one of those
0: things where if you're always comparing yourself to others and I mean, in this world of social true. media and right. I mean, I'm sure even within this podcast, I'm as soon as we start to release like the podcast episodes and stuff, I'm going to be comparing myself to oh, it, are we, are we trending upwards? Are we trending downwards? Sure. Like, oh, only five people listen to that episode. <laughs> like I wish more people would listen, you know, those sort right. of things. Um, and it, it's rough because especially, I think especially in academia, it's really, really rough because you, you compare yourself to like those people that you're reading all their papers. Right. right. And you're right. like, oh, well like, oh, that's a great idea. I, I had that idea, but you didn't get it published. Yeah. And, you know, so you're always kind of like, like almost right there, but you're not quite right there. And it's just, it, it's just brutal. And then you start to look at though, the, like the people who are extremely successful in terms of academia, in terms of research papers, publishing most of the time, don't have good work-life balance. It's similar to, you know, being an elite level athlete, right? Like you can't have necessarily good work-life balance. Like you have to be hundred percent invested in your work in order for it to work out. And it's, it's the same thing with any, with any sort any sort of super high, high level, uh, individual, whether it's, you know, business, academia, uh, you know, athletics, sports, totally. those sort of things you have to have disbalance. And, but I think, you know, once you start to realize, Hey, I'm probably not going to be the elite of the elite, but I can do the best that I can on yep. any given day. And by giving it my all, I can maximize my fulfillment and my purpose, you know, within whatever realm that I'm trying to maximize.
1: Exactly. And,
0: yeah. And, so, and that's what the predictors of performance really are. Totally. Is <laughs> being able to do that.
1: Would uh, I, as your master's advisor, been able to do that interval?
0: Workout? I, I don't think so. No I way. don't think so in it. I could it's, have it's done crazy. anything. Close it's to crazy that. because how long was it between seeing each other? Was it was like almost four years that yeah. we didn't see each other. Yeah. And you know, when when you were my master's advisor, it was like, Yeah, you know, okay, you know, he might he might have a little bit of waste weight to lose, like those sort of things. Oh, I, then, I had
1: a lot of weight to lose.
0: And then and then I saw you at ACSM, I was like, where'd you go? Like
1: <laughs> Yeah. No, I lost uh, at, at the biggest, like the most weight I lost, I lost fifty pounds. Nice. As a little bit of it has has come back, um, but as you said, I was on the track where I thought I wanted that academic uh, success to, to reach that pinnacle of like preeminent, you know, researcher in a field of. You know, performance or mitochondrial physiology, and I realized soon after you left, like that's not going to happen. I need to get back parts of my life that I've let go by the wayside. Um, mm-hmm. That 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 really took away from my life quality, and yeah, it, it was a it was like a two year odyssey to kind of get it back. Because I wanted to yeah. change a lifestyle so it was maintained, right? I didn't want to do anything drastic. I, I had to look forward to it. And so I built up my my endurance, you know, my resilience, uh, my foundational basis over like a period of two years. And I'm doing things now that if then I would have said, That's what you're gonna have to do in order to live this life, I would have been like, I don't want to do that. You know, but incrementally got there. To the mm-hmm. point where uh, when I was a PhD student, I used to talk with uh, uh, a good friend of mine now that he's doing his PhD too at the same time, Christoph Ziebenman. And we would say that we wanted to live a life where we could eat or drink almost whatever we wanted, but still maintain a healthy physique and be uh, physically capable as, as we are. And so now I kind of just work out a lot more than mm-hmm. I used to. But it's a priority. I, I I love the opportunities it affords in life. It's good for self-esteem. It's good for uh, uh, your immune system. It's, I mean... Good for your it, mental it, health. Exactly. And it sometimes it really does take out some of the stresses of work and stuff like that. But it really helps regulate my sleep better, which I really struggle with. Like, mm mm-hmm. It's just it's so important if people could find a way to fall in love with exercise right that that's the, that's the thing is maybe some not everybody's going to like riding you know riding a bike or or even running but if they fall in love and find that modality of exercise that they could spend a lot of time doing um th- that journey's well worth the investment for sure mm mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's something that I'm slowly coming back to is, you know, during during the PhD and I mean you were finding it during early stages of your academic career, you feel pressure to kind of go all in on your job, on your research, on, you know, whatever it is. And and, and maybe maybe it's not because you feel forced, maybe you are forced because you have so many things that you have to do at one given time. For example, I was teaching during my PhD, I was doing research, I was taking classes. And, you know, so, so those three things, right, were already taking up my full-time, a full-time job. And then on top of that, I wasn't being fulfilled from that. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take on trying to do like make my own businesses. So I had like, you know, two like sort of early businesses that I was trying to start. And then on top of that, I wasn't making enough money from my university job. So I had to, work another job. So, you know, I'm doing like five or six things. And, you know, then the first thing to go is 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 exercise, right? Because you're like, oh, I just don't have time to do it. Can't do it. But as soon as I started to be a little bit more selfish in terms of of treating myself better, getting more sleep, exercising more regularly and all of that, I was more much more effective in all the things that I was trying to do. And Weirdly enough, it seemed to free up more time for me versus taking away that time. So now, now that I actually get to choose what I do and choose how I I build my my day, I it my, I love having a routine. So I wake up, I make my coffee, I'll do like you know social media stuff, like posts, like try to do a little bit of work on you know whatever project it is that I'm doing, whether that's like a course or ebook or whatever. And then when I'm done with that, I'm kind of like starting to get hungry. I'm like, okay, time to work out. So I'll go jump on the bike, you know, for hour, hour and a half. And then by the time that's over, then it's time to do, you know, like, like record podcasts or, you know, when you're on have your bike, do you
1: take, people. do you take in any nutrition on the bike? So at oh, this yeah. point, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's coffee. And then it's, um, I, I essentially eat something on the bike every single day. So this is this is a little controversial because ketones are a little controversial in terms of their performance benefits. But I'll I'll do that. Like I'll take like a bottle of like ten grams of ketones just to stave off hunger for a little while. Then once I'm like thirty-ish minutes into the workout, like you know, done my warm up and I like, kind of started cruising. I I almost always do um, a packet of Morton with some electrolytes, and it's essentially for me just to stay on top of my caloric intake and there's no I'm not doing like intermittent fasting for you know the the health benefits it's because there's no touted health benefits that have actually been shown shown in humans and we should make a podcast episode about that um should but but I I just that's just how it's just it just feels better for me like to to I feel clearer when I'm you know not focused on just eating right away um I I feel like my Blood glucose and other physiological regulation is better when I, you know, start eating during my workout versus eating before. Um, What's Morton's? Morton is like, here, let me grab one. So it's just, it's just a little packet. It's like a drink mix. And they have, so this has 80 grams of carbohydrate in it. So I just
1: dump this into a shaker bottle of 500 milligrams of water. Well, I guess that's pretty good. Yeah, that is pretty. Yeah. Good.
0: Well, so, so essentially, I'm like kind of training my gut as well to handle, you know, higher loads of of carbohydrates. Which is so good. If I do want to do something longer? Yeah, right. exactly.
1: But um, your liver glycogen is always. But I guess then you're offsetting with the exogenous carbohydrate you're taking in. Do you do you ever do any workouts where you are liver skilled muscle loaded? Um.
0: I think typically, yes. So the other day, yeah, yeah. So, and my performance is way better. So the other day, I did not have time to do my workout right after kind of doing my initial stuff. So I had a a smoothie and like bomb smoothies. Like you just do frozen uh, mango, strawberries, and blueberries. And then you put uh, kefir. So it's essentially low-fat kefir with some water. That thing, that's like, that's like uh, turbo octane. Cause when I got on the bike, I was like, man, I'm going 106, like 160 Watts. My, my heart rate is like five or 10 beats per minute, beats per minute lower than it normally is during, (laughs) during these workouts. Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, it's, but it's not, it's not hindering like my, my workouts hugely. And by, by taking in, you know, exogenous glucose I'm able to kind of override any sort of, you know, fatigue related
1: factors. Do do you know, uh, what, let's say how, what composition of carbohydrate and how much you can take in without feeling any discomfort?
0: I haven't tested it in a while, but when I was doing my, when I was doing my 50 K training, I was trying to do a hundred, grams of i think what is this this is a mixture of probably. glucose and fructose and i think it's probably pretty pretty ideal whatever the ratio is like point two to zero, one like or, point whatever. Eight or whatever or point yeah.
1: eight to one yeah
0: yeah um morton yeah i amazing. was upwards of like a hundred 110 um really and,
1: and and yeah no problems
0: nope that's awesome so yeah it was and you know that's like that's like I, I think it's super important to be focused on your carbohydrate intake, especially if you're in a situation like me where I'm doing, you know, a hundred and, you know, an hour and 30 ish minutes of, of work in the morning without eating anything, um, and exercising close to fat max. We know that fat max is not a hundred percent fat burning. It's, you know, a lot of fat, but it's still a lot of carbohydrates as well. So, you know, you're, you're going to run into issues if you are always doing fasted workouts in the, in that sort of, uh, capacity, you'd have to go lower if you wanted to actually, you know, not have to worry about it as much, but yeah. Then after that I'll do, um, in terms of eating, I'll try to get in a lot of protein, like I think like set 70 plus grams of protein. And it's like mo- mainly coming from like protein shake, you know, sort of deal. But then on top of that, I have, <laughs> this is like people don't don't follow my diet just just
1: yeah don't uh, same if i said what i eat (laughs) too for sure But
0: i'll do so i have like mass gainer and it's got a lot of maltodextrin in it so essentially just like you know glucose chains but i'll do only one scoop of it normally they say oh two scoops but one scoop is like 120 grams of carbohydrates and that doesn't bother my stomach neither does like the 75 grams of protein that i'm consuming so those two don't bother my stomach. It's a way of me, you know, kind of refueling after the workout. And then I'll do, you know, generally like a, like a, uh, smoothie, like the smoothie I was talking about. And so I just eat a lot of, you know, fairly high carbohydrate. And then mainly, um, like, so depending on the time of day that I'm eating, like I'll do like a, like a sandwich or, you know, something like that with some like goldfish crackers and some vegetables I'm a child. Um, and then, and then I'll do like an actual good meal, you know, for dinner. Like that's kind of, that's kind of like just, just how I operate. And it's my, like the last time I got all my, you know, blood glucose, you know, lipids, all that sort of stuff, everything was, was all good. Cause I'm still probably eating in a caloric, uh, caloric deficit most of the time. And that's, you know, if you, ask, if you ask my my former PhD advisors, that's probably the best way to have good blood markers is just be in a caloric deficit for a few days before you get your blood drawn. Um, I'm not telling you guys to go out and do that, but if you are worried about it...
1: That's <laughs> what I do too. I make yeah. sure anytime I have to go in to get my blood drawn, uh, not only have I been exercising those days, but I am definitely in a significant caloric deficit.
0: Yeah, yeah, because they do... Uh, definitely, you know, it helps regulate your blood glucose. It helps regulate triglycerides, you know, within, uh, or yeah, triglycerides, like with your LDL and HDL and all of that. Um, and it's just one of those things like that, that's something doctors should be asking people. Oh, you know, like, have you been weight stable? Are you losing weight? Are you gaining weight? Because if you're gaining weight, I can almost guarantee you, your numbers are going to be skewed towards the worse end of things versus if you're in you know in the process of losing weight um but that's (laughs) this is this episode has been a, a, a kind of a large digression from the initial planned predictors of performance but i think this has been fun because we've been able to explore like how we as researchers actually like train um you know the type of of food and everything we're intaking and then just you know, a little bit of light, like what it's like to be a researcher and get your life back when you're, when you actually choose that being, yeah, uh, for sure. living is, is better than just your career. Right.
1: Yeah. And it's important. And with the, with the knowledge, you know, that you discuss on this podcast, it will allow others to hopefully grab their own independence and achieve, you know, achieve what we're talking about is, Finding your optimal performance in life, and w- w- mm-hmm. whatever shape form that comes in, um, it will be significant in in someone's life once once they're able to do it. R- yeah. Like right now, and n- no bullshit. Like uh, I know lots of people say this type of stuff, even though they don't mean it. But my exercise is is legitimately one of the stabilizing foundations of my life like mm-hmm. it, it allows me to take on more to be more to do more um, sincerely and with all sincerity it really does i never before um when i was younger i was fit really because of like what kevin spacey said in american beauty i just wanted to look good naked <laughs> but since getting it back now now it's a different thing and and a mm-hmm. little bit for me is because with the research, I mean, how long have I been discussing cycling without any understanding of of the actual modality of exercise itself so mm-hmm. as i've started cycling more and more and more it, it literally has made me a better researcher because i understand the the mode of exercise that i study so often mm-hmm. it helps really kind of answer some of the questions that before i i would have had no idea about
0: yeah yeah i think i think that is kind of the awesome thing of, of taking on, you know, whatever modality it is you're studying, because then you start to think, okay, you know, coming back full, back full circle to this idea of optimizing everything and, and you and I not being kind of that, like that genetic, uh, ceiling of, of potential is like, okay, what can I actually do to optimize my training in order to maximize my performance? And that's something I've been thinking a lot of, like we were texting the other day about, you know, like three thresholds and, you know, like determining your zones. And, you know, that got me thinking about like, well, why isn't everybody doing physiological testing? And, you know, and then from there it's like, okay, well, how do we actually bring more physiological testing into more homes and stuff? And I'm, I'm really, really excited. I think this episode should come out after uh, an announcement that, that Moxie monitor is going to make, but, um, we're doing something really cool. That's going to involve essentially using the Moxie teaming up with a, a, a group of individuals over in Germany and being able to basically just take a Moxie monitor, a heart rate monitor, and a stationary bike, like a Wahoo kicker, and then do, a uh, essentially a step test and get all your physiological variables and your zones. Just from that, you don't have to go into a lab. You don't have to do anything. It's everything is just, is fit to a a really well done physiological model. And from there you can start to actually get your physiological training plan versus, you know, just using your, you know, your traditional heart rate variables and and other things like that. So everything kind of comes back around and uh, you know, it's it's interesting because I didn't think getting into this podcast it would be, you know, kind of like life optimization stuff, but I do, you know, just to reiterate Robbie's point is like I do think that exercise is a very key foundation to maintaining health and maintaining wellness and, you know, kind of optimizing your or maximizing your potential for whatever it is you're doing cuz you only get one body and you only get one life and you need to treat yourself, you know, with with happiness and respect. And as soon as you can start to do that and then start to figure out, you know, what it is actually brings you happiness and what makes you feel better, then you're going to start to exude that sort of positivity around you. And then you're just going to get it back tenfold. Um, And maybe the start of that is exercise. I'm not saying you need to be a cyclist like like us. I'm not saying you need to be a runner. Just doing something that gets you out and does, you know, does something that just makes you better every day. Uh, Disc golf was was that for me for a while. Um, you know, maybe it's gardening, maybe it's, I don't even know, like s- skis or like, landscaping
1: landscape. Yeah. I love, I love landscaping. And I, like right now in my middle age, ass enjoys landscaping more than resistance training now. Yep. Can you believe that? I used to resistance train 20 years of my life consistently. Yeah. Never thought that I would find more enjoyment in going outside and digging trenches sometimes. <laughs> hey, you know, if than you're, pushing if, weights around.
0: Yeah. If, if you're, if you're really enjoying that, you should come out to Michaela and I's new new house. We, we have, a, <laughs> then, we have, have
1: lots of work for, that needs yeah, to be completed. We have,
0: we have a yurt that you can stay in <laughs> and, uh, uh-huh. we, we need some, we need some T posts and a fence put up and I, I'll be glad to help you with that. right hey, <laughs> I could show you pictures
1: of, uh, <laughs> we had a massive windstorm i think you were here one time like the wind here can get gets wild mm-hmm. it blew over a tree in our backyard and took out half the fence and then uh the rest of our fence was taken down for other reasons i can't talk on this podcast but uh <laughs> i i had to re- rebuild a portion of the fence it, it, was, yeah. good. it was good it's good
0: i can yeah. help no offense yeah. And I, and it, I, I'm kind of joking, but at the same time, I'm like, actually though, cause like it's gonna, it's going to be tough. We live on uh or we're going to be living on kind of like a, like a rock shelf. So we're going to have to drill some holes to get the T posts in deep enough and all that.
1: Yeah. Our properties on all kinds of sandstone. So we are okay. we running into the exact problem. Actually the 40 year old retaining wall that we previously had was anchored into the sandstone with these Uh, cables with these cables Mm -hmm. that they it's not done anymore but uh it it lasted for 40 years is pretty interesting
0: yeah yeah it's uh yeah so at the end of the day right it's just about finding stuff that you love to do fine and you know putting yourself in a situation just get better every day and uh you know it's like like i said this is a digression from what we initially planned on talking about but i love these sort of conversations and this is exactly why i i just love these conversations with Robbie. And that's why I, I had such a good time in my master's because we would just sit down and we just talk about this sort of stuff. So if you guys have any comments, questions for us, you know, leave, leave a comment down below. If you're on YouTube, uh, reach out to me at critical O2 on Instagram. And um, until, until the next time we'll catch you guys later.